it's just a privilege. I don't know how you feel about it, but every time I come in here on Sunday mornings, I'm just, I'm just grateful and I feel so privileged to be able to worship the Lord and to be able to serve the Lord with you all. And I just, I'm so grateful for the people that God has given us. He's given us each other. And, and man, we love one another and we support one another and we, we, we stand with one another. And that's a gift from God. And so it's, it's, it's in the faces of each other. And a lot of times even in our weaknesses and even when we mess up. Like that's, we see God in each other still yet and the love of God in one another. And so I'm just, I'm grateful this morning. And you know, I've been doing a small group on Wednesdays with some fine ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and we've been going through the book of Philippians. And I'm, I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And we're talking about the character of God. Last week we talked about being partakers of the divine nature. We talked about the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship or the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. And then I, if I was to do this sermon series full on, I mean, we could go on for probably a year. When you look at the character of God and the nature of God, I'm probably not going to do that because I get bored quickly. Uh, but but I, I want to hit some highlights on just the nature of God and maybe sometimes some highlights of the nature of God that you don't really consider a lot. But this morning I want to speak specifically about humility. And Humility is kind of funny, you know, I was, I've been thinking about humility this week and it's really been kind of exposing some things in me and, uh, you know, but I, I thought, you know, if there's one thing that I'm better at than anybody, it's humility. <laughs> anybody get that? See, Regina got it. I was just seeing if y'all were awake this morning. I, if you make that statement about humility, obviously it reveals that you just, you're really not that humble, right? So, so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Humility is kind of a tricky thing. And so even when you're talking about it, it's like, how can I get up and speak about humility from a place of humility? You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all need to be humble. You need to be like me, right? Amen. So what I'm saying is the person that we need to look to for humility ultimately is God. There's no being on the planet more humble than God, and it's revealed perfectly through Jesus Christ. And humility says this. Humility says that there is nothing and there is no one beneath me. There is no thing and there is no person that is beneath me. So let's read Philippians 2, and then we'll pray together. But Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11. I want you, this, this message is going to be very pastoral in nature, so I want you to bear with me, pay close attention. And, uh, and just let these, let these verses really speak to you this morning. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you for your love and your kindness and your goodness toward us. And Lord, we're, we're talking about a subject of humility that, that honestly, I believe if we could get it in our hearts, it would set us free. But Lord, we look no further than, than, than you, than Jesus Christ come in the flesh to view this. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us wisdom this morning, that you give us insight, and that Holy Spirit, you yourself would come to teach us your word and your truth so that by it we could be made free. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, when I was in, when I was in seminary, I was reading all kinds, t- talking to somebody this week about how I used to read the, the church fathers is what they called them. And those were all the dudes who lived in like 90 A.D., 100 A.D., 200, 300 A.D. And you read these guys, and, and you're because st- they're fresh, you know what I'm saying? They're fresh off the press. Some of them kn- knew John. Some of them walked with Peter and hung out with him. And so they, they had a little bit of a greater insight probably than, than some dude that's walking around in 2020. You know what I'm saying? Like they saw some stuff, they knew some stuff, and it was all fresh to them, and they were experiencing what Christianity was. And during that time in the year 100, 200, 300, there were some guys called, they called them the Desert Fathers. And these dudes were my type of dudes because you guys know how introverted I've told you that I am and how at the end of the day, really, I was telling somebody earlier, you know, an, an introvert really is a, is a person that wakes up and they've got five coins and every social interaction they have, they spend a coin. And by the end of the day, they got no coins left. But see, extroverts like Jeremy Baker, he wakes up, he wakes up with zero coins and every social interaction, he gains a coin. And by the end of the day, he's full and ready to go. He's like, man, you know, so, so and that's really the difference. So an in, introversion, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't want to interact with people or that you're even shy. It means that you get depleted when you spend time with people. And you know, even Jesus himself, there was a thing, and Jeremy was discussing it, because whether you're extroverted or introverted, you need time alone with God. You need time alone with the Lord. And you have to figure out how to work that into your life, and I'm constantly trying to figure out how to work that into my life. But these guys, I love these guys, because, man, they were crazy enough to say, you know what, we're leaving it all, we're going to the desert, we'll be back in a couple years. I'm like, what? I mean, what if we did that? What if I did that? Well, I'm going to take a sabbatical. I'm going to go to the desert. I'll be back in about a year, and I'm going to get some insight from the Lord. And they would come back with this miraculous insight, crazy experiences that they had in the desert with God. And, and people would flock to them just to hear their wisdom. And oftentimes when they returned, one of the main subjects that they would be talking about, strangely enough, is humility. And they, they talked about how the world was infected with pride. And one guy said it like this. One guy said, the devil appeared to a brother in disguise as of an angel of light. And the devil said, I am the archangel Gabriel, and I was sent to you. And the brother responded, make sure you were not sent to somebody else, for I'm not worthy to see an angel. And the devil, seeing the humility of this brother, immediately disappeared. Now some argue, was it, this guy comes back, he says this story as if it legitimately happened to him. That this angel appeared to him. He knew it was the devil, but, but they were trying to... And so he responds to him, Hey, make sure you sent to me because I'm not worthy to see an angel. And the devil seeing the humility, he said, I'm just letting go. And the point that this guy was trying to make is that if you become a genuinely uh, humble or a person who lives and walks in humility, one, you're going to live free from the oppression of the evil one. 
And you're going to live free from the pollutions of this world because of the humility that is in your life. And that is what they were trying to make by this point. And, and like I said, it's funny about humility because you can say, you know what, man, I just feel really close to the Lord. And you can tell your brothers and sisters, like, I'm overcoming this addiction. They're like, yeah, man, that's awesome. Uh, God's working in your life. And they'll applaud you for sharing what's going on in your life. But if you say, you know what, I'm just really feeling humble these days, you know, they ain't nobody going to applaud you for that, right? They're going to be like, this is weird. Why is he telling me he's humble? That's strange. And, and so humility is a, is a unique thing. It's different, but it's one of the most beautiful things in a human being's life. And it's often hard to identify because usually the person who is humble is never thinking about themselves or projecting themselves at all. So they sort of go hidden behind the scenes. And so if we're going to look at humility, we look no further first than God because God is the most humble being that there is. And that's kind of funny because we often tend to think of God. And like when we're preaching a sermon, like I knew I was like preaching about humility this morning. I'm like, Lord, you know, when I like to preach, I like to preach something about how you can just move mountains and just destroy stuff and how you got power. That's miraculous. Because when I preach on that, man, everybody's going to get involved. They're going to clap probably. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to feel better about myself as a preacher. But if I'm preaching on humility like a bland subject, nobody's getting behind it. Because when we think about God, we think about this mountain-moving, powerful, awesome, mighty God, and he is those things, but we never tie it in with humility because our God is not just somebody who chooses to act humbly. It is his very nature that he is the most humble being in the universe, period. And that's very interesting. So Paul is writing about humility to the Philippian church, and he likes the Philippian church. The Philippian church has given him generously. They've, they've given to him generously. They've provided money for him. They're, they're living well, and really he is commending them. And he's writing about joy in the midst of hardship to the Philippian church. And in the middle of him commending them and saying all the good things that they've done, he ends up dealing with them on a level where he starts to, he starts to point out that they still got some flaws. Because you know, no matter how good you're doing as a church or as a body of believers or as an individual, you still got some stuff you need to work on. Anybody amen me? And the point where you get to where you say, no, I'm good now. I've really got things lined out. I promise you that's pride slipping in. It's likely to destroy you. Amen. And so they still had some issues. And his problem with the Philippian church is he said, you know what? Y'all are doing really good on this level, this level, this level. But what I'm afraid of is that there are slowly divisions and disunity working in among you. And I believe that that's a word even to our church. I think with the world system, the way that it is, if you look at what's going on, the spirit that is at work stronger than any other evil spirit in the world right now is the spirit of division, the spirit of discord. And you see this Democratic Republican thing and, 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 and just every issue that comes up is now politicized and it just gets people to push hard one way and hard the other and we cannot come to a reasonable uh, agreement on anything anymore and this division is at work and he's saying, you know what, if you're not careful, this stuff will creep into the church. It'll creep in among you. There'll be disunity and division among you and then you will get to a place where you're no longer fully expressing who Christ is in the world. And so Paul was most concerned about this, but even in the verses we read, just in the first four verses, you see that there are six times that he talks about unity. He says that we are united with Christ, that there's a common sharing in the Spirit, that we are to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, being one in mind. So he's saying, look, there is a danger of disunity. There's a danger of division. But let me say this before I move on, because unity does not mean uniformity. 
Unity does not mean that we're going to be the same people. We're going to wear the same clothes. I told somebody the other day, we was going to try to go all, he's like, but you like black. I said, yeah, I'm trying to get the worldliness out of us. I'm going all black everything. We're going to do black vehicles, black everything. You know what I'm saying? And just, and, and just, and just line this thing out. I, that's a joke too. I mean, I'm having trouble this morning with my jokes. Either y'all ain't awake or I ain't funny. You know what I'm saying? One or the other. So, uh, but unity does not mean uniformity. And that's a big thing in this church. You know why? Because if I sit down and start talking with people doctrinally in this church, people have differences, don't they? People have a lot of differences. Now, unity does not mean that we're going to vote on the same social issues all the same. Doesn't mean that we may go and pull the lever for the same dude every time we go and vote for somebody. That may not be the case. Throughout the New Testament, you see that Christians have disagreements, but Paul says that even though you have disagreements, you can still preserve unity. So there has to be a way that we are mature enough to understand that, yes, I may not agree with this brother or sister on some things, but at the end of the day, I'm humble enough to hear what they're saying and allow their perspective and allow their opinion to shape me, to mold me, and to maybe even change me. Now, I don't want to move away from the Word of God on any issue whatsoever. So what I see in the Word of God to be blatantly, clearly the Word of God in Scripture, I'm going to stand on that and humbly say, I respect your opinion, but I'm going to stick with the Word of God on this issue. But that doesn't mean that I've got to fight these people. And on these issues where, where we may see things not so eye to eye, but we don't have a clear answer to what's right, man, we have got to set those things aside for the sake of unity. So he says this, that we need to be united in heart and mind. And he said the way that you're going to do it is get your mind off politics, get your mind out of Facebook, get your mind out of the arguments that are currently going on today, and get your mind on Jesus Christ. Because right now, and I'm telling you, it's, it's actually science. Okay, I know everybody likes to say science a lot here nowadays, but I'm telling you the science, if you read, a lot of times when you push an agenda one direction, you got something in your brain called an amygdala and you put up a defense mechanism and if one person pushes me in an aggressive way to say you need to do this, what it actually does is cause me to go further in the opposite direction. That's why since the early 90s the, with media what has happened is Democrats and Republicans have furthered the gap bigger and bigger. It's a bigger difference than it ever has been before. And it will continue to increase because we are aggressive with one another and we all lack humility. But we just want to set that aside because surely we can convince these people with the things that we say and the arguments that we have. And maybe if I get mean enough and, 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 and degrade somebody enough, then I can get, get, convince them. Listen, you ain't going to convince nobody if you're going to degrade them. Nobody. Not one individual. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm just like you. In my own private time, I've degraded a person a time or two. Just be honest this morning. We can all repent of it together. But he's saying, no, you can't do that. You've got to have the mind of Christ in these issues and in these relationships. And he says the drama that's happening in the church, Philippians, the drama that's going on in the church can really be summed up in two phrases. And it's in verse 3. And these two phrases are selfish ambition and vain conceit. 
Selfish ambition and vain conceit. Those are two like good word studies for you. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. Selfish ambition literally means acting for one's own gain regardless of the discord or harm it causes others. Ultimately, what selfish ambition means is like, I'm going to do me. It's all about me, and I care about getting mine, and I'm here for my blessing, and I don't care if it hurts anybody else or if y'all have discord over it or disagreement or not. I am worried about me, and I'll do whatever it takes for me to get gain in this situation. Secondly, he says vain conceit. He says do nothing with selfish ambition or vain conceit. And you know the two words like vain means excessively proud or concerned about one's own appearance, qualities, or achievements. And conceit is an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability, opinion, or importance. And what that ultimately means is that at the end of the day, selfish ambition and vain conceit means, you know what? I may not tell you outright, but deep down in my soul, I am the center of the world. I am the center. How I feel matters most. What I believe matters most. How I think is the right way. And I don't understand how y'all can't think like me, believe like me, feel like me, and focus on me. Because at the end of the day, I am the one that is the most important. And does this not affect the human heart, folks? you got to be honest with me. This gets in there. And I'm going to say, well, that doesn't get in me. I'm going to tell you just one real simple way on how it gets in you. If somebody takes a group photo and you look at the group photo, who you look at first? You look at yourself first. I don't look at nobody else. I don't care what you look like. I care about what I look like. And everybody else could be bent over looking like fools. And if I'm looking good, I'm like, man, that's a good picture right there. We, amen. Give me a clap. Y'all know it's true. And it's like, man, we probably need to get that framed. And it's like, but this dude's kid's over here hanging halfway off him. And he, he's looking like, oh, I didn't see him, you know. And it gets down to the core of who we really are. Because right down at the base level of all who we are, that's, that's who we are. We are very selfish people. And we just can't help it. And it takes sanctification. It takes growth. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit to yield to these things. But we become aware of these things and we say, you know what? Maybe I need to consider this. Because Tim Keller said this. I really liked what he said. I read this just yesterday. He said, in the body, church growth that does not benefit the rest of the body is not biblical. In the human body, cells that only benefit themselves are called cancer. The point that he's making, he's saying, like, if we, if we grow as a church, but yet the people that are coming into this church are simply conformed by the world to where they're only consumers. And they look, I know that people, people of the world, right, are going to come in. Everybody's going to come in. And in the beginning, they're consumers because that's how we are wired. And we're all consuming. We look at a church. We look at the people around us. How can these people serve me? Will they teach what I believe? Will they do, you know what I'm saying? And we do that and we're shopping because we've been trained to shop. You know what I'm saying? Everything is about what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And if we don't get it, you know, I'll, I'll think I'll look somewhere else. I think I'll look somewhere else. And what he's saying is that when we become a part of a body, the only cells that are only thinking about themselves are cancerous cells. And they begin to do damage to the body. They begin to erode away the health of the body. And so this is why in Philippians 2, 3, 4, let's read it one more time. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 
See, this, this does not mean that your interests are not important. Your interests are important. Your dreams are important. God has put dreams in your heart to succeed, to do well in life. And when you do well in your career, when you do well at your job, when you do well, bless, whatever it is that you're doing, you're actually bringing glory to God in doing that because you, he's given you these gifts to steward and to have dreams. So it doesn't mean that your interests are not important. It just means what is your focus and who are you valuing? What are you valuing? Because he says to value others and their interests above yourself. Now, I have to think about this often, right? Am I valuing the interests of my brothers and sisters above my own interests? Am I valuing my brothers and sisters above myself? Or am I, put, or am I putting myself first? Because in Christian ministry, if I begin to elevate myself above somebody else, right, that's going to cause, that's going to cause some issue. It's going to cause some friction. But here's what Paul's saying. He's telling the Philippians, he's saying, look, if y'all live in a community where everybody looks out for the interests of the other person next to them and not the interest of themselves, guess what? Your interests end up getting met. Do you realize that? If I'm looking out for your interests and you're looking out for my interests, guess what? Both of our interests are met. But he's saying this is how the world functions in a healthy way because everybody else in the world is dog-eat-dog trying to get mine. But if we could learn as the body of Christ to show love and generosity toward one another and say, I need to meet the interests of this person and somebody else is meeting the interests of me, then what we find is we are only elevating each other day by day. We're getting stronger and stronger. But man, there's a, there's a, there's a spirit in this world that turns us inward, that tries to pull us away to protect self, to look out for self, to watch out for self and not think of others as much. And so are you genuinely interested in other people or are you just waiting for them to shut up so you can talk about yourself? Anybody amen me on that? You know, you get in conversations. You're just like, I know this person's talking, but right now I'm formulating my response. And I'm, I'm sort of interested, but not really, because I got myself to talk about. Amen. That's us, isn't it? We do stuff like that. And, and, and see, a, a genuinely humble person actually is thoughtful about the other. They want to know what's going on with the other person. They take an interest in their interests. They want to hear what they've got to say. They want to know genuinely how they're doing, but this is a struggle for all of us. And then so Paul moves on and he drops a bombshell because he looks at Jesus and he says, if you want to know what God is like, you need to look to Jesus. And this section in Scripture is known as the Christ hymn. And this is really cool because scholars say that when he writes this right here, it was actually a song or a hymn that was being sung in the church. And he just wrote out what they were already singing, forming them. Because it's important what we sing on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Because what we sing is what's forming us. What we believe about God, the nature of God. What we sing, it forms us, how we think about Him. And so... And it's always funny because, you know, people don't get up and sing about the, the wrath and anger of God often, do they? Oh, God, your wrath is wonderful. Like, nobody does that. <laughs> so, um, he says in Philippians 2, 5 through 7, In your relationships with one another, pay attention, this will help you with your relationships. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And so you can't talk about humility without talking about God. And he says, if you want to know what God is like, where do you look to? We say this all the time. If you want to know what God is like, who do we have to show us? Jesus Christ. 
He is the image of the invisible God. And the shock of Christianity is that the almighty, all-powerful God who created all things and could wipe you off the face of the planet in a moment of time is the most humble being on the planet. The very nature of God is to serve. It's his nature. It's who he is. And so when you say, it says in the scripture there, who being in very nature God, the word being, it can be translated two ways. It can be translated although or because. So it could be translated although he is God, he made himself nothing. So basically he's saying although he is God, he chose to be humble. It could be translated that way. But another translation for this word, and I think it's the accurate translation, is because. And this says because he is God, he made himself nothing. So one is basically you're saying that humility is the opposite of divinity. And so God is God and he's so far above everybody that he had to choose to be humble even though he's not by nature. This says no, because he was God, he took on flesh and became a servant. Because he was God. He didn't have to change who he was to become a man, take on flesh, become a baby nurtured by his mother and die on the cross a horrific death. He didn't have to change his nature to do that because he is the most humble being on the planet. And so Jesus redefines our image of God. He does not say that God serves. He says God is a servant because do you know that you can serve and not be a servant? You can serve in ministry. You can clean floors. You can go over here and watch the kids. You can greet out front. You can go down to the homeless shelter. and so You can do all of those things and still not be a servant. Because you can serve and choose who gets served. Decide how to serve. But at the end of the day, what I see a lot in today's world is Facebook servants. You know what I mean? Like the reason people serve is so that they can be viewed and seen as servants. And I'm thinking, that is, that's a little bit weird right there. It feels strange. And, and, and even churches, and I, I wrestle with this personally because like, it's like when, when we go out and you do good deeds, you need to take like three or four cameras with you. You know what I'm saying? I feel so awkward when that happens. And, and, and thank God that I do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm just like you. I want people to puff me up and say, man, look at what a humble servant Clay is. I mean, he's in there cleaning the toilets this week. Praise God. What a guy. I want it just as much as you. I know we want the recognition. I know we want it. But we, the thing is, is if this stuff embeds in our hearts and mixes with our motives, we begin to embrace it as that it's okay thing to live with all of our lives. And we don't realize that we've got pride undermining our relationship with God our entire lives because we want us to be seen rather than God to be seen. And so, and it's a hard thing with social media because I know it's important that we get things out there, so to speak. But, you know, Jesus was such a humble man that he would heal somebody and do a miracle. And he said, don't go tell nobody. I mean, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd been like, Peter, get the camera set up. You got the lights? Bring the rig, boys. I'm about to heal somebody. <laughs> you know, what I mean? we got to get this out to all the world because if all the world sees this, they'll be saved. We won't even have to go preach the gospel. But his humility wouldn't allow, wouldn't allow him to do that. They would try to lift him up, make him king. He'd slip through. He'd say, nah, boys, ain't about that. I'm not in the business of exalting myself. I'm not in the business of putting myself above others. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he reveals something that's so interesting to me. Because in John 13... You know the story, the night before Jesus is, is going to be crucified, he's betrayed by Judas. And they come in to the table to eat. 
the Passover meal. And when they come in, you guys know the story. It would have been, it would have been in, in history at that particular time that you would have hired a servant to clean the guest's feet of people who were coming in. And if you didn't have a servant hired, it was sort of like the, the rule that whoever came in first would wash the feet of everybody else who came in. That's why people probably started showing up fashionably late. You know what I'm saying? Be like, this thing starts at 6. I ain't getting there first. I ain't washing everybody's feet. But see, the problem with the disciples is, and this can happen with Christians as well, they've been hanging out with Jesus three years, and Jesus is amazing. So because of their flawed and broken hearts, they start to elevate themselves. And they're all the time arguing about who's going to sit at the right hand and who's better and who's more worthy. So when they come into the house, I don't know who got there first, but somebody didn't wash anybody else's feet. And they're all sitting around the table all dirty. And Jesus comes in behind them, you know. And when he walks in, he doesn't get up. Here's the thing about Jesus, too, because everything I read about Jesus, oftentimes I'm reading and I'm thinking, well, you know, he's doing this right now because he's saying, you know what, I need to teach these boys a lesson. But do you know in that moment, it was like the Lord spoke to me. He said, in that moment, I wasn't trying to teach anything. I was being who I am. I wasn't trying to teach anybody anything. I was simply being who I am when Jesus stood up and he took the basin and he took the towel and he began to wash each, wash each person's feet. You know, sometimes when we, we're not humble like Jesus, we choose whose feet we wash, don't we? And I'm going to wash the person's feet who's been good to me lately. Peter, you've been good to me lately, buddy. You said I was the Christ, the Son of God. Come over here, buddy. I'm going to give you a good foot washing. John, you laid your head on my bosom. Come on over here, buddy. We're going we're gonna to have you good foot washing for you to get you cleaned up. Judas, you can wash your own feet. Skip on over. But see, Jesus shows us humility because he says there's nobody's feet that he will not wash. That means that nobody is beneath Jesus. Nobody is beneath Jesus. He washes John's feet, he washes Peter's feet, and he washes the feet of the man that just betrayed him into the hands of the government to be crucified and killed. And when you think about this, it's crazy because it's the very nature of God literally to clean anyone's feet. If Jesus were in here this morning and we were having a foot washing, you could take every sinner and outcast and drug addict and thief and swindler that is out there and I bet you a dollar that that man would wash their feet first. I bet you he would. And sometimes we're just not like that in our hearts. And, and, and when I think about that towel, I thought about this. I had this thought in my mind because there are different kinds of towels, aren't there? I don't know if y'all realize this or not. Like, put, put up that towel I got. Look at this towel. How many of you women, now I want you to be honest with me this morning. How many of you women in your bathroom, like the guest bathroom, you've got decorative towels hanging on the thing? Anybody? Decorative towels. Nobody? You lying. Maybe this is a thing that's passed now. I don't know. There you go. Tell it, tell it. Be humble. Here's the thing. I, I remember growing up, and I remember in my bathroom, like, mom would always have these pink towels with, like, lace and tassels on them. I'm like, I'm washing my hands. They're soaking wet. These things aren't even absorbent. You know what I mean? And, and then you go, you go over to somebody's house, and that you're a guest at their house. You walk in, you use the bathroom, and they're just trying to keep their bathroom looking nice. I get it, but what I need is a high-quality, durable towel to dry off with. And I think in our own lives, we do the same thing, don't we? 
It's like we want to be servants. We want to pick up the towel. But which type of towel are you? Because I got towels. Andrea knows. I got towels that if you look at them, you're like, I ain't touching that towel. But you know what I do with those towels? I use them. I got towels that are specifically for putting smoked meats in a cooler and keeping them warm. And they got meat juice stains all over them, but I'm still using them. You know what I'm talking about. So the question is, is which type of towel are you? Are you a towel that can be used or are you a towel that just sort of looks good on the outside? Are you just a decorative towel? Because, I mean, we carry our Bibles and we come to church as a decorative towel. We look like, man, I, I come in looking like a servant. I carry my Bible like a servant. I might even preach like a servant. But don't you ask me to serve because that's beneath me. That's beneath me. I'm decorative. I'm to be looked at, not used, not to put dirty hands on. And there's two types of towels like that. So let me go through some things really, really quickly. Just a few points. Because Paul is basically saying, look, there's, po there's a possibility that you as a church are going to enter into some pride. You're going to enter into some disunity. And you're going to allow the division of the world to infect you. And I mean, no matter how good we're doing, we always have to be aware of that reality. And so number one, I need you to understand that humility is a decision that we make. Because we often want somebody to pray humility into us. I mean, we'll take up prayer requests at small group and we'll be like, yeah, I just, hey, I just want to be more humble. There is no one single prayer. There ain't even a hundred prayers that are going to make you more humble. And the reason being that I know that, how do I know that? Is because Philippians 2, 7 says that Jesus, he made himself nothing. He actively made a decision to make himself nothing. And then it says he humbled himself. Donald always used to say, you better humble yourself because what you don't want is God to humble you. Amen. And so he says, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself and he became obedient. Can I tell you that humility does not come just because you get older and humility does not come because you go through sickness. You know that there are both old and sick people and they're still full of pride. There's nothing in your life ultimately. I have seen people go through some of the hardest of circumstances and it did humble them and they turned to the Lord. And I've seen people go to, through equally as difficult and hard circumstance and they harden their heart against God. They stand in pride and they resist Him and they say, I ain't doing that. And it's strange the human heart is. But secondly, humility is a letting go of entitlement. Now this is a good one here. A letting go of entitlement because it says in Philippians 2.6 that Jesus being in the very nature of God, He did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. See, if there's anyone who was entitled, it'd be Jesus, wouldn't it? He could show up on the scene and say, boys, hey, hey, you know what? Guess what? Everything on this planet, I made it. You need to bow down. You need to worship me. You need to serve me. I am the king. And he could do that rightfully. But instead, he chose to go in the opposite direction. He chose to let go of this entitlement, this sense of I deserve this. Now, I thought about this because, you know, this is a little bit funny, but it's a little bit true at the same time. So let me give you an example because I don't want to out anybody else. But, you know, when I first started pastoring, I became a lead pastor back when I was about 26 or so. And uh, I started pastoring at a church over in Barberville. And when I came in, man, they, they led me into my office. It was like a white leather chair, son. This thing looked like I was a king sitting on a throne. I had a mahogany desk. There was like purple carpet in that thing. It was the cleanest office you ever seen. 
And they, they was just like, what can we do for you? What can we get for you? And, 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 and everybody was cleaning the stuff around. I didn't have to clean anything. I didn't have to touch anything. I thought, you know what? I am something. I mean, this is special. You know, I got, I got something good going here. You know, they were paying me to pastor. I was a young man. I was like, gosh, man, this is really something here. And everybody was always telling me how grateful they were that I was there and how wonderful of a preacher I was. And I was like, man, this is really something. I'm, I've made it. I'm special. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years into that, the Lord begins the process of leading me back to City of Hope Church. And when I come on the scene, I come in and Donald walks me into my office after making fun of me several times. And my office looks like a janitor's closet. There's literally water at that point leaking through the roof in my office. And the heat and air ain't working at the time. And then I meet everybody and you know, I remember meeting the worship team at that time years back, about five, six years ago. And I remember walking in and how they greeted me was, you got the coffee made yet? You know what I mean? And you, you can laugh if you want to, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, it, and then it, the lot fell on me to be the cleaner of the toilets and the mower of the grass and all that stuff. And I thought, you know what? I don't know if I deserve this or not. But you got this sense of entitlement, don't you? Like somehow you deserve something because you're somebody or you did. Like, and whether I felt that way is neither here nor there. Right? I just had to use a good example for you. But the point being is those things can creep into your mind. And especially some of you youngsters in your 20s and 30s, you're starting to try to make something of yourself. And you feel this pressure of the world to be something and be somebody and have a career and have lots of money and do everything right and have a certain amount of kids. And all that pressure is junk. And it's leading you astray. It's causing you to get focused on the wrong things because you're wanting to go up and God is saying that you have got to begin to move down. He's saying you're going the wrong direction. You're thinking about things all wrong. And see, this also means that if you're going to let go of entitlement, that you cannot be right all of the time. Everybody wants to be right all the time. How many in here you want to be wrong? You don't want to be wrong. And let me tell you something, when you get on Facebook and you make your posts with all your opinions, you are betting the house, son, that you are right, ain't you? Proverbs 13, 10, it says this. It says, where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. He said, you want to know the reason there's arguing and quarreling and you fight with people all the time and you dislike this person, that person dislikes you is because right down at the root of it, you won't get bypassed everything. Y'all are both full of pride. And if you had any humility, one, you would step back, you would take some advice, you would be willing and open to listen without feeling threatened by their opinions. And you would be willing to listen and not argue, he said, but where there's quarreling, he said, you can always find pride. Humility allows us to be non-defensive. It allows us to be open and willing and interested in learning about and with others without feeling threatened by perceived attacks to our sense of self. And so it takes humility to receive advice and correction, doesn't it? You know, there's one, there's one place, I love Proverbs. It just says it straight up like Proverbs 12, 1. It says, he who hates correction is stupid. I mean, that's just the Bible. It says it, Proverbs 12, 1, New King James Version. You can read it. But it takes humility to receive advice and correction. And 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, if my people, now we read this all the time because we, we read it about revival. God will heal the land if we'll just pray, if we'll just pray, if we'll just pray. But I think oftentimes in our pride, we actually miss the first 
requirement. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Let's move on to the third one. Humility says nothing and no person is beneath me. Now, that's the thing that I started this message out with. But see, a good and simple way to measure humility is to identify the tasks that you think are beneath you. Is it beneath you to pick up trash? Like, I mean, I often pull up into the, I, I often pull up into the, I used to do the, I remember as a young kid, like, I don't know what it was. Maybe I was a proud little jerk or whatever it was that I was. But if I was on a campus, like I remember being at EKU, I remember being at school. But if I ever saw trash on the, on anywhere, I wasn't picking that up. They probably hired somebody to do that. You know what I'm talking about? And I ain't picking that up. Somebody's hired to do that. That's filthy. And it's, the Lord started doing a work in my heart. He says, and, and it was just like one day I saw some trash. Somebody had dumped a huge big trash bag out on the road somewhere, right? And I felt really convicted about it because I drove by the thing and it's sitting there dumped on the side of the road and I had the perfectly good potential within myself to send, without anybody seeing it. Now, I should have waited, you know, until some people were around. <laughs> anybody coming? Oh, there's somebody. Oh, I'm picking this trash up. I'm going to throw this away. But the point is, what, is there anything that is beneath you? Is there a person that is beneath you? Are drug addicts beneath you? Are Democrats beneath you? Amen. Somebody said, yeah, they are. <laughs> and that's how y'all feel about a lot of it. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, at the end of the day, you, again, we've got disagree. There are people in this world I disagree with heavily, folks. But how I respond to them, how I, how I move in my heart toward them, I have got to work on that personally. But is there a person or is there anything who is beneath you because Jesus demonstrates fully that there is nothing beneath him? Where your sin goes deep, his love goes deeper. Where your faults mess you up and break and destroy everything around you and even your relationships, Jesus' grace abounds more fully than your mistakes. His life and love and grace runs far deeper than anything you could ever imagine. Number four. Humility is really the path to, for freedom. I've just got two more and we'll be done. Humility is really the path to freedom. The freest person in the world is the most humble person. You say, well, what do you, what do you mean by that, Clay? When you're humble, you have nothing to protect. You've got no image to uphold, right? You've got nothing to prove. You've got nothing to possess. And most people struggle in life because they're fighting, trying to uphold this image. They're trying to protect their self-image, to project this certain image of themselves. And see, the thing about it is, is humility allows us to view ourselves in such a way where really I don't care what you think because you cannot think any less of what I actually am. There's no way you could think less of me than what I actually am. I'm grateful that you think well of me, but if you look deep, deep, deep in my heart, there's no way you could think any less of me than what you do right now. Even the worst among you. Some of you probably come in here on Sunday mornings and say, you know what, I mean, I'm going to church, there's a pretty good church, but I don't think much of that pastor. I can promise you this, in my heart, I'm worse than what you think. And because I know that, it sort of doesn't bother me as much when I think about you thinking negatively about me. It sets me free a little bit. Now, I have to practice that, don't get me wrong, because at the end of the day, I'll be honest with you, I want all of y'all to think well of me, don't I? I mean, like, I want y'all to love me. I love you. But Proverbs 16 says this, 
Because we will try to elevate ourselves and exalt ourselves. And in Proverbs 16, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share the plunder with the proud. So we end up saying, you know what? I'm going to let go of the world's perception of me. I'm going to let go of that person's perception of me. And I'm going to hold on to God's perception of me. And I'm going to let that guide my life. And I'm going to be willing to let go of all of this. There's a guy, I read, I read something this week because it was Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is really about humility at the end of the day. And this guy who wrote this article says this about humility in the Day of Atonement. He said, people who embody humility feel more at peace and satisfied with their own sense of self and identity and are not as motivated to look for approval or admiration from others around them. In other words, humility allows people to remove themselves from harmful social competition and a fragile sense of self-worth or esteem. You know how you just start to feel like a piece of trash if you don't get enough compliments and admiration from the people around you? This is saying that humility allows you to get out of that because you don't have to enter in competition with being better than anybody. You don't have to put, project yourself on social media, everybody, to say, I'm this and I'm that and like my stuff and think amazing things about me. You're not living from that anymore because you know that your position is in Christ and your, self, your, your sense of self-worth and value and self-esteem is found in who God says you are. And that's a place of humility. And he says humility does more than simply prevent negative personality traits. It also strengthens interpersonal bonds because it allows individuals to better appreciate others' strengths and weaknesses as well as, in general, behave in a more empathetic and helpful way. You know, one of the things that humility really allows you to do and why it strengthens interpersonal bonds is because when people mess up around me or maybe people say something about me or maybe people hurt me or maybe they have a fault, you know what it actually does with me a lot of times? It makes me somehow or another oftentimes love them more. And I'm not saying that I want you to be broken. I'm not saying I want you to mess up. And I'm not saying I want you to hurt me. Now, oftentimes when you hurt me, I have to work through it like the next person. I've got to forgive you. But see, when it comes right down to it, I can understand why these people are doing it because I know that I'm capable of the same thing or worse. And when I have a hard time forgiving somebody who does something or says something, it's because right down deep at the center of it, I am full of pride. And I think somehow I'm not subject to the same weaknesses. But a forgiving person is a humble person because they know, you know what? But come right down to it, I could do the same thing that that person did. And here's my last point. Humility is about trusting God to lift us up. And it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I'm telling you, I don't know, I just had a flashback right then. And maybe, maybe I'm going to say it just because it came to me so strongly, so it may be for somebody. I was having really bad night terrors, dreams one time. And this is totally off subject, but it came very vividly to my mind right then. So I was having really, really bad night terrors and dreams when I first got saved. And I, I remember I was reading scripture, and, and, and I had been reading Philippians that day. And, and I woke up, and I, I honestly just felt in the room that there was like a demonic attack in my mind, just a pressure, almost like an oppressive thing on my chest. And I kid you not, this verse came to my mind just as I was sitting there, and I began to say these verses out loud. 
that he became obedient, even to, obedient to the death of the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when I got that out of my mouth, I felt it all lift. I felt it all push back. Because this is the reality of Jesus and Satan knows Jesus' lordship. And see, the beautiful thing about all this is, is that Jesus' lordship came because he humbled himself. It was because he became obedient. Let, I mean, think about this. We're talking about humility, trusting God to lift us up. And we're talking about Jesus Christ, God who made all things, who gave breath and life to every human being, who literally gave life to every creature on the planet. Yet he becomes a little baby, nurtured by his mother, grows up poor, doesn't grow up as a king, grows up as a little poor boy that's a carpenter, lowly. And then even though he is God in the flesh, Satan and all the powers and all the people of the world resist him and seek to have him murdered. And rather than zapping him with the snap of his finger and eliminating everybody, he yields. And he allows himself to be put to death, but not just any death, the most humiliating, gruesome death that has ever existed in human history, the death on a cross. Stripped naked to a loincloth, humiliating experience. Everybody who looked on saw him as nothing less than a criminal. And he allowed himself to enter into the most humiliating place. Why? Because he's humble. And that's the love of God for us. But see, what I love is that it doesn't end there. He trusted that God would lift him up. He knew that the way up is down. The way up is down. Satan tried to tempt Jesus by saying, Look, man, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world right here in a moment of time if you will but bow down and worship me. And he said, No, I can't do that. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And he humbled himself. He could have taken the path to go straight to the top right out of the gate. Jesus could have been the king of the world through Satan's patterns, but instead he chose to take the way down, and he went to the most humiliating and lowest point of the death of a cross, being obedient to God. And therefore... God has raised him up and highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And Paul uses this because in verse, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, value others above yourselves. He says, if you value others above yourselves, you think that somehow you're going to fall behind and get behind everybody. But he says, ultimately, what you don't understand is that when you value others above yourself, God is going to lift you up above others. And this is why he goes on to say, he gave him a name that is above every, above every name. See, the Christian story never ends with death. It ends with resurrection. It ends with new life. But you have to be willing to do what Peter said. And I'm going to finish with this verse. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I love this because you know what? Some people, even in ministry, they're like, you know what? I'm called to do this, and if I don't get to do it, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing, yada, yada, yada. I'm telling you, you're in a test right now. 
You think God's called you to something? You think you need to climb your way up to the top? No, you need to start moving down. And the more you move down, I don't need, you don't have to worry about what I'll do. God will exalt you. In due season, God will exalt those who are willing to humble themselves. But he says, if you will exalt yourself, he said, ultimately, you're going to be abased. And so we come to this place of God. We need this humility in our hearts. We need you to work this in our hearts. And so we're reminded, ultimately, that what saved the world is the humble love of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what saved the world. It's what's going to continue to save the world. And one of the most humble things we can do is whether we do it here or in our hearts right there, is humble ourselves before the Lord and confess our sins to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm broken here. I need you. God, this is where I'm at. I need you. Lord, I've done this. I've not acted appropriately toward my brother or sister. I need you. Lord, I, I said some things I wish I hadn't said. I, I, I ask for forgiveness. I need you. I'm struggling with this addiction, Lord, and I need you. I confess that as sin, and I need you. That's one of the most humbling things that you can do, to say, I'm in the wrong. I'm worthy of nothing. But God, you are good. And so I'm humbling myself before you because I trust that if I, will, if I will humble myself, that you will lift me up in due time. So I want you to bow your heads right now. And I just want to give you an opportunity right there where you're praying. Whether you know the Lord or you don't know the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, right now is the time to humble yourself. And the scripture says that we could humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways. And I believe when we do that, God heals us. He heals us and he begins to heal our land. And so, Lord, right now we just come before you as humbly as we can. And, Lord, we confess our sin to you. Lord, all of the things that we've done, all of the things that we have failed to do, God, we ask for your forgiveness right now. And, Lord, each and every one of us, God, we're full of faults, we're full of brokenness, and we're full of darkness. But we know, God, that when we come to you, there is forgiveness and there is grace and there is love. And so we receive that forgiveness for our sins right now. And Lord, we forgive those who have sinned against us. Can you do that right now? Can you ask for forgiveness for your sins? And then forgive those who have sinned against you. Lord, we forgive those who have sinned against us. And we release them this morning, God. We lay nothing to their charge any longer. We let them go. And so Lord, what we're asking is that you would help us to humble ourselves. You would help us to be obedient. And God, sometimes these things hurt, but Holy Spirit, we trust that you are at work in us right now. And so we just speak peace to each and every person. Lord God, I pray you fill us all with your Holy Spirit, that you begin to work in us in a deeper way than you ever have before. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. I want you to stand to your feet.